Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where this week we're going to be looking ahead to the retail sector that's going to be in the news in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means a recap of BHS and its prospects of survival, how MPs are gearing up to grill the BHS pension fund trustees, and we'll be asking whether M&S has transformed this catchy number for its summer ad campaign. Into cash at the tills. I'm joined by Richard Fletcher, business editor of The Times, Deirdre Hipwell, our retail editor, and Alex Ralph, The Times stock market reporter. Welcome to you all. You liked that, didn't you, Richard? I did very much. There's a bit a of dancing ca- there, dad dancing. I believe it's a popular tune, so I'm latterly informed by David Maguire, our producer, who knows everything about these things. Let's start with BHS, Richard. Just recap briefly, if you will, where we are and what we're looking forward to next. So there's sort of two stories running at the moment, and uh, my colleagues here know a lot more about them than I do, so I trust they will chip in but i suppose there's a story about the sale of bhs which uh, which rolls on and we may have a conclusion by the time this uh, this podcast goes out or we may not uh, and then there's also the ongoing inquiry by the two select committees which have joined forces and and, and to, to to look at um the collapse of uh, bhs and 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 the pensions and, and what it means and that's probably where the story really goes next week i suspect on monday we have Philip's long-standing right-hand man, Ian Grabina. Uh, we have um, Paul Budge's finance director up in front of the select committee, along with some of the other management, and that will be uh, that will be a session to watch. Before that, we have we have some uh, some of the advisors, but I suspect the real focus will be on the Arcadia management. And then on Wednesday, uh, we have the pension fund trustees, the current pension fund, tr- fund trustees, and uh, the former pension fund trustees. And again, I think that will be a particularly interesting session to watch. Um, it, it will be an interesting session. I think there'll be some tough questions asked because I think a lot of it will focus on what BHS was like in terms of its sales and its pension fund when Philip Green took over and what happened in the period that he owned it as well as what happened you know, in the past 18 months which led to the sale and subsequent collapse. I have to say I'm rather hoping that the the, the MPs on the committee do a bit of homework over the weekend uh, because I personally felt their performance when they were questioning both the PPF and the pension regulator, some of them, and perhaps it's slightly 
glass houses for financial journalists to say this, but some of them were not particularly well informed, I have to say, uh, about what the pension regulator did and what the PPF did. And, and unless they're better, uh, they're, 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 they're better informed, I think actually they won't get much out of um, Ian Grabina, who has spent the last well, 15 to 20 years working for Philip Green as his right-hand man. He's quite used to tough questions, and I suspect, uh, you know, if the MPs are going to uh, you know they're going to get proper answers out of him. They need to be better briefed than they were for the for the regulator and the PPF. I think on, on that point, in terms of how you know whether it is just MPs grandstanding, whether they are going to get to the bottom of of some of this. I think partly that's down to people like Lord Miners, who is um, an arch enemy of um, Philip Green, going back many years, um, who has been advising the the committee, uh, advising the MPs, and I think he's partly involved in trying to work out the money that's been coming in and out of um, BHS and the group. And, and Grabina is a very urbane, very smooth. He's not going to lose his temper. I mean, it, it will be an interesting session, and I'll, it'll be great to see. They should really quiz Chris Harris, who's the property director, and also is also up in front of them. You know that it, it's going to be a uh, an interesting session. But as I understand it, you know the all of the direct, Arcadia directors have have, have been um, performing or practicing ahead of of this of, of this session. So they're going to be well briefed. They know what to expect. You know, the MPs are going to have to, you know, if they do just grandstand, I suspect it, they won't really get very much out of the session. It could be quite a different feel to the session because at the last one we discovered that Frank Field was chairing the first one and Ian Wright would be chairing the second one and Frank Field chairing the next one. And Ian Wright was definitely more up for a fight when you saw how he was asking questions last time and he had done a bit of homework. I mean there were a couple of MPs there, like Richard Fuller who seemed to have a handle on what was going on so I think there will be a few who might be getting ready to answer some questions. The danger always with select committees is you get MPs who just want to get a sound bite out and they don't really ask a detailed question whereas if you compare it to in the US where Senate committee hearings are much much more difficult and far more forensic I agree there were some good questions in the last session but there were you know there was at least one MP who I don't think really understood the difference between the PPF and the pension regulation didn't even seem to really understand what the PPF did which you know does seem disappointing you know if we are going to get anything out of this select committee you know it is supposed to be about the broader as well as about BHS it is supposed to be about what it means for the broader issue that there are thousands of pension schemes which have big deficits and are now they're, they're sponsoring company i.e. the company that's responsible for them is a lot smaller than it was when it, it went when the pension fund was created you know they don't they have hardly any people working for the, the company who's who have any interest in the pension fund and therefore it, this is a big issue it's not just about bhs although bhs is obviously very interesting and i'm not taken away from that but it is a huge issue and it'd be really disappointing if the mps don't use the opportunity they now have to really look at how we deal with the fact that there are these pension schemes which basically can't afford to, uh, you know, to, to fulfil the commitments that they've given and that the pensioners who've paid in and worked for a company on the basis they were getting this pension quite rightly expect to get. Alex? Yeah, just one of the other implications of it is the timing of the actual session. It starts at about four o'clock on Monday and that's partly because of MPs returning from their constituencies from the weekend but it means that you've got 12 witnesses uh, all appearing in the space or a very short period of time which which perhaps isn't isn't the best situation. Doesn't make it easier for editors either. 
No, that's true. But I think what will happen is it'll, it'll probably focus on a few key people because I think some of the other people will just be providing support because you saw that in the first session, Leslie Titcomb had another... Um, She's the pensions regulator, she isn't is. she? And they've called for clarification, haven't they, on remarks that on, she made. On more than one occasion, yeah, they've asked for, for a fair bit of clarification. But she also had, I forget her exact title, but she would have been like the case officer who would have been involved with dealing with that. And she was providing support, or maybe not very good support, given that they're having to clarify a lot of their evidence. But I think it, we might find that it gets focused on a few key individuals. Moving it slightly, I remember the last time we talked about this, most recently did, really, we talked about... Uh, the fact that most people listening and tweeting and retweeting the Let's Save BHS campaign have probably never been near a store for ages. I hear anecdotal evidence says that people are returning. I mean, is there some hope still for the store as, as a business? I agree. I think a lot of the people tweeting probably haven't been in there in years. I myself only used to go in just to see what it looked like, just because I was interested, because I knew that there were difficulties there. Um, but I think there is a chance of survival. I don't think it's necessarily the greatest chance because I think most people say that BHS has been a redundant dead business for some time. But if you were to take the business without the big pension fund issues, you keep the name, you get a proper retailer in there um, who can sort out the product and perhaps um, reduce the number of stores it might it might be a goer. I do think there's a slight danger we can become a slightly London-centric here. I mean, there are lots of places across the UK where actually BHS might be, you know, the major retailer in, in, in a market town or in a town or, or, or one of, you know, a handful of major... So we shouldn't... I don't think you should write BHS off. Uh, it still has a place, I hope, on the high street because it still employs... You know, over 10,000 people, so let's hope there is a place for it. Well, I think we'll all agree with that. We're going to take a short break now, but when we return, we're going to be looking at what to expect when Marks & Spencer reports its full year results. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. And as promised, we're going to look at Marks and Spencer's Deirdre Hipwell, our retail editor, a newish chief executive. This must be his first set of annual results, isn't it? It is. Steve he Rowe. has had a bit of an outing um, recently with the trading statement. But yes, it will be his first outing. He's already started to make his presence felt. He has streamlined the management team and kind of done a bit of a rejig there and they had a better than expected final quarter so that might have given a bit of a boost to um, the profits but I think people will be wanting to get more of a sense on his overall strategy so everything from will he reduce the range the availability which is particularly in clothing which has been a big issue for M&S the website sharpening of prices um, and I guess just to see what his plan is, because M&S has never been very fleet of foot when it comes to general merchandise, and I guess that's what his main focus will be on. I mean, I, I like Steve Rowe, uh, not just because he's a fellow South East Londoner, um, but he's worked for the business all his life. His dad worked for the business. You know, he's a, he's not your typical FTSE 100 chief executive, and, and I got told off by a reader when I wrote that in a recent one of my email bulletins uh, accused me of being a bit snobbish, but he's not. He's a Millwall fan uh, rather than the usual corporate ticket at Arsenal or Chelsea. He's a chain smoker, but he is M&S through and through, and and he is um, he is a great retailer, and he and he helped 
turning around MS food. My, I suppose the only concern for the city is that he's too much of an insider, so that although he does know the business too well, you know, is he going to shake it up enough? Is he is he going to will he be will he be prepared to sort of take the sort of unpopular decisions if you like? And I suppose that's what he's got to show uh, uh, over the coming months. But he is, uh, you know, he's very different uh, from the previous chief executive, Mark Bolland. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does on the day. It's a big day for him. It is his first, you know, proper outing in front of the city. So, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be very interesting to watch. And they recently launched their autumn range and that was met with quite a high degree of praise by the fashion press and it was also immediately available to buy online which is the whole Burberry concept like once you see it you can buy it and I did throughout the few days after the launch went on to look um, and I I didn't actually buy anything. I, I hate to admit, sorry, MS, but I did keep putting items in the basket just to see if their availability was there, and it was. Every time I went on, I could have bought the items. So I think that is the first quick win for uh, Steve Rowe because that has often been a problem. You can see it, you want to buy it, and you go to the MS and you can't find it. I mean, the interesting thing about Steve is, although he's best known for having turned around food and, and helped drive food forward, and that's obviously has been the big driver of growth at MS. His first love is clothing. That's where he started. Uh, he's very dapper. I remember going around some stores in Glasgow with him a couple of years ago. Uh, we were supposed to be looking at food stores, and he ended up buying a sort of purple velvet smoking jacket uh wasn't my taste but but i think it was very fashionable at the time uh, so he is you know it clothing is uh is is he it, it, it is important and that's the area that MS really needs to fix if it's to win back uh, the city well let me ask you this i remember because i think you broke the story didn't you about the sparks card which was the genius of the previous management I, as a customer i find it confusing what on earth is it for and do you think steve Rowe will keep it I don't know whether Steve Ray will keep it. I suspect he probably will because they've invested quite a lot of time and effort into launching it. The idea is that it's a sort of next generation of customer loyalty card. And as Deirdre knows, you know, that sort of that's a very sort of fashionable area among retailers. It's about increasing people's basket size, getting them to come back more often, knowing what they want to buy. Absolutely. And John Lewis does something similar. The the new evolution of the store loyalty card is not so much about just getting points every time you buy an item. It's about inviting you to events so you can come and have a tasting event or you can get the first look at the new range. I mean, personally, I just prefer a store card where you get points and you get money off, but that's just me. It's so much I'm, simpler. I agree with you. Amen I'm still a that. fan of the Boots loyalty card, but... Um, but this the is the new evolution. Going. Richard, are you a fan? Yeah, uh, no, I always forget to take them and then I feel really guilty when I, and I feel like I've lost it out because I forgot to bring my card. Although I do know that you can now store them on your iPhone, which I started to use to pay for things, but you can store your store cards as well. So that makes you feel really with the kids. But no, I always forget them uh, and then I feel like I've lost out and I've paid too much for my veg. I think the whole point with the Sparks and, and other types of cards is retailers are trying to find out more and more about their sh- their shoppers and I think that's probably what M&S done because that's been the biggest criticism of M&S is that for quite some time now they just haven't been able to figure out who is their shopper so they've tried to go really trendy you know they've brought in Alexa Chung and and all sorts of role models or or advertising um, campaigns like that so I think maybe having some big data about who is shopping at M&S might help them. Alex if I can bring you in here of course I suppose the first verdict uh, on the results to be delivered by the stock market your patch absolutely yeah i mean i'm sure there'll be lots of positioning coming into the um into the results as investors try to second guess 
how ruthless he may be in his in in his structure restructuring plan. But um, yeah, and then obviously we see how the shares react on on the morning off. It'd be ruthless, won't you, Richard? I don't know. Uh, is there much of a short position in MS at the moment? I haven't looked recently. Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm I'm not sure, but. Certainly there are in the supermarkets and some of the other clothing retailers. Is how much do the other retailers and their clothing offering impinge on someone like M&S, for whom clearly clothing is so important, although, as you say, the food is good, so it's a yeah, good it's, deal. It's it's about, Diddle, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's about 50-50, isn't it, in terms yeah. of revenue now? I mean, obviously, food is more profit, uh, clothing is more profitable than, than the food business, but the food business now accounts for about half the sales, and obviously brings a lot of the footfall into stores and, and that helps the clothing sales. Yep, I think that sounds right. <laughs> Goodness me. Do I hear the sound of busking here, Alex? I mean, looking at just for the moment. <laughs> moving seamlessly on there, looking at the wider retail sector at the moment, it does seem to be attracting quite a bit of bearish comment, doesn't it? Why? I mean, there's the argument that if the global economy is slowing, that might feed through into consumer sentiment and some people are already remarking upon that. You know, and if people start tightening up again, then obviously that has a knock-on effect on, on the clothing and food retailers. And of course, we can't forget that Next and Primark, who are very, very, very good retailers, have found it quite tough recently in the going weeks in clothing. And it'll be interesting to see if M&S has managed to buck the trend. Can I say I would have checked the uh, the relative turnover of the two divisions, but Dave made us switch off our mobile phones when we came in, so I wasn't able to Google it. So apologies to readers, but you uh, and maybe I'll tweet it later when I tweet out the podcast. I'll tweet out whether we were right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll it's catch not, up with the modern communication era sometime. And that's just about it for now. But remember, you can read about those MS results as they happen and keep up to date with all the business news and commentary online, or if you'd prefer, in the paper, of course. If you're a Times subscriber, take the opportunity to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. And if you don't have a subscription, there's a £1 offer. Just simply go to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Deirdre Hipwell, Richard Fletcher and Alex Ralph. They're all on Twitter and you will be hearing from Richard Fletcher shortly. We'll make him do that. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.